those of us who do have a seat at the table need to really push the existing structures to include young people, to partner with young people. How does the humanitarian sector ensure a more meaningful participation of young people? This was the question. A dedicated working group under the Compact for Youth in Humanitarian Action set out to answer as they developed the IASC guidelines in 2020. And in this episode, we'll dive into them. I'm Haya Termanini, and you're listening to The World's Biggest Opportunity. In 2016, the Compact for Youth in Humanitarian Action was created by a group of civil society organizations, UN agencies, and states. It's a network with more than 60 members collaborating to bring young people to the center of humanitarian action. Many of the members have long been discussing the need for concrete tools to ensure better inclusion of young people. And three years ago, a set of guidelines were developed under the title Working with and for young people in a humanitarian and protracted crisis to shed light on the central aspects of youth participation and provide tools for engagement. One of the pioneers of this process is Kate Mahoney who works as an Adolescent Development and Participation Consultant at UNICEF. She's with us today and starts out by introducing herself. Hello and welcome, Kate, and uh, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Haya. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here and have a chance to talk with you. Um, I have been working with UNICEF, with the Women's Refugee Commission, and with the UN High Commission on Refugees on Adolescent and Youth Engagement since about 2015. Um, I should just note that my my background is actually firmly in human rights, with a lot of work on child rights and refugee rights and protection. So I think I became involved in the youth agenda by being part of a kind of a community of humanitarians who are really trying to look analytically at what we need to do to improve humanitarian work so that we involve and so that we're accountable um, to the people who are actually affected. So we've sort of seen this growing recognition that 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 means that we can't have a a one-size-fits-all approach. So almost 20 years ago, as a humanitarian community, we began to actually really recognize more fully that children have specific needs and need specific services in humanitarian situations, and we really need to take a holistic, rights-based and systematic approach in order to realize those rights and to keep children safe and have them feel safe in humanitarian situations. And we kind of, as an evolution of that, we finally realized that having this arbitrary line dividing children and adults doesn't even begin to really account for the special needs of young people. And so at the same time that we were sort of realizing this, we also recognized this this demographic reality, this huge youth bulge in many conflict and disaster affected countries. So in order to do humanitarian work better, we there's this imperative, we really needed to work more effectively with and for young people. And so these pieces of the puzzle were sort of coming together at the time of the World Humanitarian Summit in Istanbul in 2016. And out of that sort of these pieces coming together, the Compact for Young People and Humanitarian Action was formed. Okay. How did the idea of the like creating the guidelines is it was it in part of the summit or how did the idea evolve? You know, it was basically came out of the summit. So there was okay. a compact for young people for humanitarian action that was that was really um, developed and launched 
at that summit. And then the members, the original members came together and there was a real collective recognition that, that young people have specific needs. Adolescence, the second decade of life from 10 to 20, is this tremendous period of growth and development. Um, and this critical period really continues really to people who are 25 or 30. And during the stage of life, young people are forming their identities and values. They're gaining these key skills and knowledge that are going to help them make life decisions and become self-reliant. And if they get caught up in a humanitarian situation, it disrupts their education, um, their social and economic situation. They may not be able to access key health and social services. They may be involved as witnesses or victims of gender-based violence or other forms of violence. Um, and they may experience trauma in any myriad of ways. So young people are incredibly resilient, but in the midst of a humanitarian crisis, they need services that are attuned to their specific needs at this stage of life. They need services um, that are they're really focused on them, not services that are for children and not services that are for older adults. Those services don't mm -hmm. often don't meet their needs. So there's a real recognition that there is this gap um, and that there's also a huge gap in young people in, in humanitarian actors knowing how to work with and for young people. So both humanitarian actors and humanitarian systems are traditionally not set up to work effectively with and for young people. So these guidelines were really written to address that gap. Were the youth involved within uh, the guidelines or not? So UNICEF um, and the Norwegian Refugee Council really partnered to consult with over 500 crisis-affected youth and 300 practitioners in 20 countries across five regions during 2018 and 2019. Um, and around the same time, there were some other consultations, such as the UNHCR Global Refugee Youth Consultations um, and an independent progress study on youth peace and security. And those findings from those consultations also fed into and contributed to the guidelines. Is it usually when you make guidelines like these, is, uh, you involve youth or is was this the first time you involve youth within the guidelines? Well, I think that's part of the issue is that often in these type of guidelines, young people aren't involved. So this guideline was really filling that gap. These consultations were taking place with so many different young people across countries and regions. And yet they resulted, they really yielded some really consistent calls to action from young people. So young people really saying what they want the broader humanitarian community to do to make humanitarian action better, to make it more responsive to the needs of young people um, and their communities. Um, and I'd be, I think it'd be great to, to share that, those, call, that, those calls to action because that's really the heart of what the guidelines are trying to do. Okay. Would you like to share them with yeah, us? Yeah, so I, it'd be so much nicer if it was in a young person's voice rather than my voice. But they are empower and invest in young people through meaningful engagement, acknowledge, utilize, and develop young people's capacities and skills, ensure youth-focused protection, support physical and emotional well-being for young people, facilitate network networking and information sharing for young people, promote and support young people as connectors and peace builders, generate data and evidence on young people to promote duty bearers accountability to young people, apply age-sensitive, youth-centered approaches in all phases of emergency response, systematically consult with young people's organizations on conflict dynamics, on causes of violence, and on priorities for peace, involve young people in design, implementation, and monitoring and evaluation of programs, and harness social media platforms to disseminate information and give young people a voice. 
That sounds amazing. I mean, I can I can hear the voice of young people within them. So I'm really happy that you shared them with us. And now I'm like curious to know, like, what was different about adding youth into the guidelines and like really having their voice within it? It would have been impossible to develop these guidelines without involving young people in the actual process. Like it would just be impossible. That's the heart of the guidelines is really about like listening to young people actively um, in a focused way, involving them that really hears from them about the challenges that they are facing and their ideas for how to make humanitarian action better and more responsive, not just to young people, but to their communities. And the guidelines are really a response to the calls of action that came out of those different consultation processes. So there's no way that we could have these guidelines without having young people be involved. Can you tell us about the main points of the guidelines, how they are structured? Is there parts of the guidelines that have a specific relevance or that is particularly important to you actually as well? You know, all the parts of it actually are really important um, and and they're kind of important at different points um, as a practitioner or an advocate. Um, There's different parts that we want to draw in different places. And I think the important thing is it's all right there in one place. So it's kind of this this standard um, and language that we can go to, information that we can go to. It's kind of the go-to guide. So the, the first section of it really provides key advocacy messages on why it is so important to work with and for young people in humanitarian action. It's the information that we need to make the case, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, to argue for funding uh, and for space within the humanitarian system. So those those arguments really focus on the demographics, um, the, the potential dividend of investing in adolescents and youth, and also raise awareness of the increased vulnerability that young people have in emergencies, as well as a rights-based approach. Um, and this can really work on, can really help us to improve how we work with young people. The next section presents key principles that are just sort of this guiding um, guiding lights in terms of how to work with and for young people. And that those include young people as positive assets and rights holders. So really looking at the positive of young people, um, meaningful participation, giving away power, um, mm-hmm. commitment, a sustained commitment to working with young people rather than one-off, equity, non-discrimination, and inclusion as, as guiding principles in terms of how we work with young people, accountability to them, do no harm, and, and safeguarding as a, as a core principle. Uh, section C really dives a bit deeper into what is meaningful participation and shares some really practical examples. So it, they really call out tokenistic engagement and focus on providing guidance and tips on how to engage young people in consultative or collaborative ways or in ways that are actually led by young people. And they look at strategic areas for young people's participation including influencing law and policy, uh, building skills and capacities, and addressing social norms. And the last couple sections are more looking sort of at the system itself. So section D looks at how to involve young people in a meaningful way across the humanitarian program cycle. So the, the system of delivering aid and assistance in disasters or refugee situations is really complex. It involves coordination mechanisms that bring together governments, donors, UN agencies, international NGOs, local and national NGOs, and it can be really hard for young people or youth-led organizations to find a foothold and get involved. 
to make their needs known or to take action. So the IASA Youth Guidelines spell out how humanitarian actors like government, UN agencies, and NGOs can proactively involve young people in assessment and analysis, in planning, in uh, resource mobilization, in implementation of programs and monitoring, as well as evaluation. Okay. I went through the report a bit this morning and it's like 200 pages. So I assume there is much more to read or much more to learn from the report itself. And uh, where can people access that report, if I may ask? The report is available online, yeah, as well as training packages that can be used to support humanitarian actors to really you know, learn about the report and, and, and take action in a way that reflects the report itself. It's really a guidance and a toolkit more than a report. And have you seen or experienced those guidelines being in action, as you mentioned? Did they change anything? Have you seen any impact? You know, it's a process. And I, I think the 2016 was really a moment of recognition um, but recognition is really only step one, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's just kind of a, a very much a beginning. I think there has been a shift to recognizing the value and the importance of youth-led action and of partnering with youth-led organizations in humanitarian action. Um, and, and this is a very important way of making humanitarian action more local. So I think that's a piece that some people are realizing, but it's not been fully realized, is that we're talking about localization and we're talking about you know, working with and for young people. And by working with and for young people in an effective way, it's actually a way to advance localization also. So we have to really invest in in partnerships with young people and with youth-led, with youth-led organizations. And that needs to be really intentional. It doesn't happen accidentally. We need to actively involve young people throughout the, the humanitarian program cycle within our organizations and within multilateral efforts. And that doesn't happen by accident. It only happens by investing in that. Um, So, for example, UNICEF has partnered with the Global Refugee Youth Network, which actively Mm -hmm. advances youth-led research, youth-led advocacy, and youth-led capacity building um, for young refugees and funds youth-led projects to address community-level challenges. And and UNICEF has been working uh, very much as part of the Compact for Young People and Humanitarian Action to run trainings for young humanitarians and there is also some some great work underway by other compact partners to develop a youth-friendly, youth-focused training materials and kind of an actual youth-focused guide um, on, on humanitarian action. So these are really important steps, um, but there's a, a huge amount of work to do. And I would say, more importantly, that we actually need to sort of we could say we need to engage more proactively with the humanitarian system, but more mm. boldly, I would say we actually need to infiltrate the humanitarian system. Okay, and how do you think we can do that? Yeah, well, I think it's I think that's the, sort of the next challenge for the compact, actually. And and I, just to unpack that a little bit, I think sometimes in uh, in fact often when there's an emergency, and the humanitarian system gets activated, there's a sense that there's no time to do youth-focused work or to work with youth. And I think we really need to shift that mindset and to to leverage these guidelines to recognize that youth actually are a tremendous asset and we need to use them in that way and work with them in that way. They are in their communities 24-7. They are part of conflict-affected communities. 
they know the situation on the ground. They know the challenges that other young people are facing and what young people need across all the sectors. They have this important knowledge and they have very important networks. They have this amazing potential to be really effective as humanitarian actors, but we need to bring them in. We know those of us who do have a seat at the table need to bring them in and need to really push the existing structures to to open up a little bit to include young people, to partner with young people in order for us to do a better job in, in working with them and for them. And for the youth that are listening to us, what would you like to say to them to encourage them to be, you know, engaged? Keep challenging us. Keep challenging us. Keep pushing us. Keep showing um, what you can do. Keep reminding us that we need to make space in order to work with you, in order to work better for you. And that's going to make better humanitarian action for everybody. Uh, and I, you know, we can't forget the demographics. When we're talking about humanitarian action, youth are a huge demographic. This is the core of who we need to be working with and for as humanitarians just generally. And what is, what do you think is the most important area to focus on uh, moving forward from here? I, I think partnership, working effectively with young people and young leaders, youth leaders, mm. to make this shift happen. And I, I go back to one of the, to some of the principles that underline the guidelines, which is giving away power. Nobody ever likes to give away power, but yet that's actually really what we need to do. We're going to have better, more effective humanitarian action in all contexts if we can work more effectively with and for young people. But that means giving away power, recognizing their skills, recognizing them as, as assets and working with them. It's not necessarily exactly the same way as working with other humanitarian actors. So we need to adjust how we work in order to do that effectively. Yeah, I agree with you because working with young people, it's like it's not like working with someone who's been like was like an adult, because it's it's always they're always challenging, they're always pushing boundaries, they're coming with innovative solutions, so it's much more out of the comfort zone. Yes, I think that's it exactly. It's out of the comfort zone, and it's often um, really innovative, exciting ideas that that may not fit into our boxes of how we work. Yeah, and yet would work better. So yeah. that's then the onus is on us to understand that um, and to look at how do we need to shift and change in order mm -hmm. to really use those resources and work effectively with young people and also look at what are ways in which we can support them to develop capacity skills so that both on an individual basis and also um, as leaders and community in terms of community action, young people can really develop their potential and develop their ability to do humanitarian work. Yeah. Thank you so much for this interview. Thank you, thank you for your time and for walking us through the guidelines and telling us about your work. And uh, yes, is there anything you would like to say or you'd like to share with us? Hi, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for your interest in this. We just want to bring these guidelines, um, really bring them to life. And I think that's our next our next challenge. Yes, and I think uh, it's a big challenge, but uh, with so many youth involved and with so many like organizations actually being so aware, uh, very aware of uh, the youth involvement, we're going to get there. Yes, we will. Thank you for listening. I'm Hayat Semanini, and in the next episode, we will take a peek into the future 
and look at how the opportunities for young people can be unlocked. When we speak to Arash Portbar from UNHCR. We need to make sure, you know, we take down the barriers that are excluding young people from effectively engaging 